Welcome to the first ever podcast. My name's Tammy Mortland and you're listening to The Good, The Bad and The BPD. God, it feels weird to say my full name out loud. <laughs> Jesus. If you don't already know me from my personal life or YouTube, then buckle in. I'm 30 and in 2016, at the age of 24, I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. This podcast is an insight into my brain and how I deal with the shit show we call life. The reason I decided to make this podcast is I wanted to reach a wider audience and let you know that there's nothing wrong with you because I hate that term. Now, I've done my research and there's not many podcasts from an honest personal experience point of view about living with BPD. And I've got to put a disclaimer in here. I am by no means a qualified therapist or psychologist. Everything that I say is from a personal experience point of view and from what I've learned over the years. My hope for the Good, the Bad and the BPD podcast is to make you feel like you've got a mate who just understands how you're feeling and to make enough money that every time I have a mental breakdown I can afford to go somewhere other than Skeg. So we're going to kick off today's episode, the start of the journey, episode one, by explaining a little bit about what BPD is for those of you who don't know. So, according to the NHS, borderline personality disorder is a condition that affects how you think, feel and interact with other people. Symptoms of borderline personality include being emotionally unstable, having upsetting thoughts and acting without thinking. Now, according to me, BPD is constantly feeling like you're not good enough to achieve anything, have any friends and being angry most of the time. You second guess every conversation and yeah, you cry for no reason. Bra straps tangled, cry. Can't get me over round corner, cry. Burnt me toast, cry. You know, all that usual stuff that you cry about. <laughs> but to be fair to BPD, like, it's not all doom and gloom. So just like with the low lows, you will always get your high highs. Like, the only way I can explain it is... You know when you're getting ready for a big night out, like, you know you're not just going out, you're going out, out. It's a bit like that. And the underlying cause of BPD is still actually quite unclear. There's a lot of things that they say can cause BPD, but we don't need to get into that on here. We might do in a later episode, but not today. So, what led me to seek help? Everybody said I used to hate my brother when we were younger because I'd tip him out his pushchair when he were a toddler. Now, you've got to bear in mind that I'm only a year and a couple of months older than my brother. But, yeah, everybody used to say that I hated him because I used to tip him out his pushchair. And from my point of view, it was probably because he was making unnecessary noise. And I've got sensitive ears. Like, I can't stand whistling, tapping... Baby toys, loud music, fireworks, any form of loud noise makes me either want to, like, run away as fast as possible or punch the nearest person. There's no in-between. Like, as a kid, I only ate certain food as well, so mashed potato and gravy, mainly. Breakfast, mashed potato, dinner, mashed potato, tea, mashed potato and gravy. It was just never-ending, and I liked to play on my own with my dolls and my babies. I didn't like to be touched by other people and I hated anybody touching my stuff. Do not touch my stuff and mess it up. I can remember coming home from school one day and 
Paige had cut all the hair off my barbies and pulled the heads off of some. And I remember we were only young, like I've got to have been, what, nine? And she was about five. And I remember, like, I proper wanted to beat her up. And I wouldn't even know how to beat her up at nine years of age, but she'd annoyed me that much and she'd touched my stuff. That wanted to beat her up. Hated my room being a mess. If I got my hands wet, I'd dry them until my fingers were, like, really, really red, especially in between my fingers. Even now, I can't stand in between my fingers being wet or my hands being wet in general. Washing pots is a nightmare, because even if you put marigolds on, your hands are still sweating in between. Nope, nope, I'm done on that. Primary school was same as it is now, really regimented, and what? when was I there, what? 95 to 2002, I think. Don't quote me on that. Um, because you either had school dinners or sandwiches, you ate what you were given, you wore the same as everybody else. And we even had book bags. You weren't allowed to take your own, like, rucksack. So, you know that new Spice Girls bag that you'd bought, been bought for Christmas, and you thought, yeah, I'm going to look great snazzy walking into school with this. You're not taking it. Because how dare you attempt to be an individual at school? No. Like, as a kid, nobody ever actually pulled me aside and said, Tam, you act different to everybody else. I was just taken at face value, like most kids are, because when you're a kid, nobody bats an eyelid, really, about attitude. They just think you'll grow out on it. So, like, family just thought I was a child with a massive attitude problem. And as a kid, unless somebody tells you that you're different, you you don't think you are. You just think you're the same as everybody else. And nobody ever got me tested because I didn't struggle with school. I was quite intelligent, like I was in the top set for most of the stuff. It was just who I was as a person, overly sensitive and angry because I wanted to live with my mum and not my dad which is partly true, so you can't really blame family for thinking I'd got an attitude problem. And we didn't have Facebook until my last year of secondary school. We used, like, good old-fashioned MSN to communicate. There were no, like... I don't know, I don't really know what where I'm going with the Facebook thing, but I could imagine how difficult it is now to be a teenager and not only have to deal with the social pressure to look a certain way, but it opens up a whole new avenue for people to bully each other and get away with it. Don't get me wrong, bullying was still rife back in my day. I used to get nasty messages left on my Bebo account. <laughs> you remember Bebo? And still to this day, I reckon I know who it was. I'm not stupid. So, yeah, being, what, secondary school ages 12 to 16 which would have been, what, 2002? I know I left in 2007, but mental health wasn't as big. Nobody knew enough about different disorders. You, If you couldn't read or write properly, then you were put in a special class and they said you were autistic. Or you were naughty and you were classed as having ADHD, which, again, nobody knew enough about. And I think as kids, most of us just wanted to fit in so we did stuff that we wouldn't usually do like back chatting teachers skiving school smoking on the tennis courts <laughs> you know usual teenage behavior that we all get up to 
if we're rebellious. And I think because at that time we're all going through puberty, as family and as teachers, probably just put our awesomeness down to that. Yeah, they're going through puberty, they'll grow out on it. <laughs> but going into early adulthood, say, what, 17, 18, is when I really started to notice something in my brain wasn't quite right. But at the same time, I didn't really give a shit. Why would I? I'd got better things to do with my time, like go out and get hammered every weekend. <laughs> but saying that, I've always been a highly sensitive person. I watch army people reunite with the pets, mainly dogs, and I've got tears streaming down my face. Like, I take most things to art and I think things are always aimed at me, even when they aren't. You've only got to look at me the wrong way and I get upset or annoyed. And because I couldn't understand why I was getting angry, that just made me angrier. My mood swings became more frequent. Our, they were lasting for longer periods of time. Like, I'd go from laughing and being on top of the world one day to wanting to sit in the bath with a toast at next. Like, there were no middle ground. If I were happy, it were like I'd won lottery. And if I was sad, it were like you'd shot me dog. It were one extreme to other. And at 19, I was at the point in my life when I thought I should be going down the career path. You know, getting your life together. And I thought that having a career would make me less angry. It'd give me something to focus on and, I don't know, take my mind off my anger issues. So I'll set the scene for you. It's 2010, and 19-year-old, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Tammy strolled into a first proper 9-to-5 office job, feeling like she was the dog's bollocks. And it was very short-lived. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> this is where I really started to notice I reacted differently to other people. Like, they didn't struggle to get the point across, or struggle getting the words out in actual sentences that made sense. And because I couldn't do that, I then got frustrated because I couldn't get my sentences out or my words quick enough. And they didn't seem to get as flustered as I did with the workload. They didn't get upset if somebody pulled them aside for, say, an error that they'd done at work. Like, they didn't seem to bat an eyelid. They just came back to work and cracked on. And if somebody would have pulled me aside and told me I'd done something wrong, I'd take it so personal and I'd think that that person hated me and I'd be sad and on edge all day wondering what that person thought of me. And it wasn't anything to do with me personally. It was I'd just done something wrong in the job, but my brain couldn't fathom that it was just all personal. And... Obviously, at this point in my life, I'd only ever been around school kids and people my own age who weren't really offended by my apparent blunt tone of voice. Like, I don't even think we knew at that age what a blunt tone of voice was when somebody went, goes, oh, that's a bit blunt. You sort of look at them and go, got no idea what you're talking about, Doris. And obviously, where, when I worked as an apprentice, I was 19 and... There was, what, about six apprentices, 16 to 18, and everybody else were in the late 20s, early 30s. So it was really hard to communicate with them, and I know that's what an apprenticeship's for. It's, it's supposed to build on the skills that you've got, but 
No. I was doing a sales apprenticeship, so I was cold calling businesses, like aiming to sell them an apprenticeship person. And that sounds really bad saying it out loud, but yeah, we were selling people. <laughs> we were selling an apprenticeship vacancy on behalf of the company. And as you can imagine, we got a lot of no's. And this can knock your confidence at any age, never mind as a teenager. I know people in the 30s who've tried sales and it's the first time they've gone into sales and after six months they're depressed. Like the pressure and the anxiety of not hitting your target, it just stresses you out and then they get like put on sick leave and then they never go back into sales. I tell everybody don't, don't do sales unless you're a very strong person because getting shouted at and swore at by hundreds of companies a day is awful. You'd get anxiety before you even pick up the phone because you weren't sure how the other person on the end of the phone would react. And I'd go home feeling like I was a failure. My anxiety got worse, especially if I didn't hit my daily target. And I'd just go home and fall out with my dad for anything and everything I could think of. I felt myself not wanting to go into work. I just couldn't take hearing no over the phone anymore. It was really starting to get me down. I mean, I just started feeling like I didn't want to be in the world, let alone go to work, especially for £416 a month, obviously apprenticeship wage. But I don't know, I just I thought I needed a career with this company to be happy. And I don't know, do what society expects. Good job, mortgage, marriage reproduce, you know, all that jazz. So I just put my big girl pants on, tried to stop feeling sorry for my son. And I tried to push it down. And I tried to force myself to be happy. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to force yourself to be happy, but it don't work, does it? It makes you more annoyed. <laughs> don't make you feel happy. Luckily, I had a few amazing funny workmates and I say mates because I still see them now I still talk to them now and without them guys I wouldn't have lasted as long as I did with the company so being an apprentice I had monthly reviews like one after another obviously Tammy there's 12 uh. <laughs> one in one of the um one of the reviews one of the managers actually said to me nobody likes you here and you're only here until you finish your apprenticeship. And they said that I thought I was better than everybody else and I needed to change my attitude towards people. And that hit me really, really hard. I felt like someone had punched me straight in the chest and my heart had fell out. Like all the hard work that I was doing was never going to be good enough unless I changed my voice and apparently my attitude. And I didn't know how to do that. This person had just verbally kicked me in the face. Like, I admired this person more than anybody else, and I thought this person was fantastic. I wanted to be as successful as this person. That's where I saw my life going. And they just knocked my confidence through the floor, and I just wanted the ground to eat me. Yeah, it really, really upset me, and as you can tell, because I'm talking about it now, that conversation really stuck with me, and it... Yeah... It really upset me. I didn't think people spoke to each other like that as adults. Cause I didn't know I'd done anything wrong. And at 19, rather than 
ask that person what I'd actually done wrong or how I could fix it. I just did what I was good at and I went home and cried. I made up scenarios in my head that hadn't even happened. Like I'd imagine me walking in next day and going sacked for no reason whatsoever or imagining everybody ignoring me. Like I'd just walk in and everybody had turned the back. And these were scenarios that were happening in my head, not in real life. And my anxiety got that bad the next morning. I was sick about three times before I even got in the car and went to work. But all the way to work, which is about what was that, 30 minutes away, I was imagining how the scenario of me walking into work would go. And I'd probably got through 100 scenarios in my head and all were bad. Not one was good. I just already felt like everyone hated me. And I'd not even spoke to anybody since I left yesterday, so nobody had actually know about my review. I mean, they shouldn't know anyway because it's private, but here is the catch. Where I worked was very clicky. Think of Mean Girls and times it by 10. And if one of the click knew something, then they all did. They were like flies around shit with new bits of gossip. It was just like, just because one of you knows, you don't all need to know. Like, it's supposed to be private. <laughs> and one of the main things with BPD is that emotions are heightened. So I was dealing with undiagnosed BPD, the stress of a new job, like expectations of society, trying to hit my sales target every week and passing my apprenticeship. And now I'd got a grown-ass adult bitching about me behind my back to rest at adults. And I don't know what happened, but shortly after the meeting that I had with said person, all the recruitment people left. No idea why. Some of them got new jobs and stuff, but it's like, hmm, you all left at the same time. And then one lady came to work in the recruitment department. Nope, she came to work in the recruitment department, Tammy. And what should we call her? Betty. So Betty came to work in the recruitment department and I saw my opportunity to get my little tootsies up that ladder and help her with the recruitment. She gave me loads of great advice. I, I'll have to do another podcast episode on that later in the series because some of the stuff she said was amazing. But I'll give you a little taster now. One of the things that's always stuck with me is engage brain before mouth. And it sounds a lot easier than it is, but like I say, I'll do a, an episode later on in the podcast about Betty and her great advice. So, yeah, as soon as she took me under a wing, like getting the job was the only thing I could think about. I woke up thinking about it, went to sleep think, thinking about it. Like, it was an obsession. And I call this one of my obsessed phases. It was something that I could engage with, something that I was good at. It, it was an obsession. I needed to be the best at it. So I ate apprenticeship information for breakfast. I was like an apprenticeship encyclopedia. And now sat here talking about it. There's no wonder why I felt like my brain was full all the time and it was going to explode. But does everybody feel like that with a new job, though? Yeah, I think they do. And that's why it's so important to learn how to manage your emotions for everybody. 
like not just if you've got mental health. Like mental health affects people that have never had a bad, bad childhood or they've literally lived the most privileged life, but they still have mental health struggles. So yeah, managing your emotions is good for everybody. Obviously, with all the knowledge that I'd now crammed into my brain, I felt like I'd got the intelligence to get the job and I'd, I just needed to look the part. So, <laughs> commence operation pencil skirt. <laughs> yep. I bought smart dresses, blazers, heels, pencil skirts. <laughs> you know, proper office clobber stuff I wouldn't be seen dead in now. If you, like I say, if you know me and you've seen me out and about on my YouTube videos, you will know that you will never catch me in a dress, in heels or a pencil skirt. Get me my baggy jeans out and away I go. <laughs> so fast forward two months later and after stressing about the application, the interview and obviously potentially rejection because if I didn't get the job, I'd still have to work there for another six months until I finished my apprenticeship. And I'd have to see the person who did get the job. I'd have to see them every day doing the job that I'd been doing for an apprenticeship wage. And now they're getting paid full whack to do the job that I were doing. But surprisingly, to my delight, I got the job. And I cried. I was so happy. I was so proud of me saying all that hard work. I just, I actually feel, field? I didn't, I felt... I felt like I'd achieved something. And when you've got BPD, the feeling of achievement is very few and far between. And would you believe that the person that interviewed me and gave me the job was the person that told me I was basically an arsehole? Yep, you heard that right. <laughs> the person who told me that nobody likes me gave me the job. So yeah, that was how I got my job and also that's when the glitter hit the fan because after a couple of months I found myself really really struggling and what I mean by struggling is I found myself struggling with my emotions like getting overwhelmed with the workload or if somebody like disagreed with my idea and didn't give me an explanation as to why they didn't agree like, I'd take that personal. Like, the, like if I tried to get my point across, I would always come across as angry. And because they'd shut me down, I would then struggle to see anybody else's point. It was like, well, why is your idea better than mine? Like I say, I had review after review, and they all said the same thing, that the way I communicate needs to be worked on. And that I was very blunt. And if I didn't like something... I shouldn't say that I don't like it. Things like that. And it really annoyed me because I couldn't help my tone of voice. Like, even now, listening to me, you're probably thinking, bloody hell, yeah, I couldn't have a conversation with her. Imagine if she were passionate about something. But my tone of voice just... I it's always... It's me. It's always been me. I've always heard this voice when I speak. But in my job... Although I was always at the top of the leaderboard for apprentices placed into employment, it just, it wasn't good enough. They didn't, it wasn't good enough for them. I needed to mould myself into what they expected me to be and not what I was. I'd changed 
my appearance, I'd gained knowledge off my own back. I changed how I communicated around the people that I worked with, but nothing I changed seemed to matter. I just got the feeling like I wasn't welcome anymore. You know when people try the best to make you like leave your job, they make it difficult so you leave rather than them sacking you? And that's how I felt. And I left the company after two years. I passed my apprenticeship and I had a few jobs that I hated, mainly recruitment and sales. And my advice to you is if you struggle managing your emotions or if you have BPD, sales and jobs with targets aren't the best jobs for you. Now, talking from my own experience, the rejection for me was just too hard and it made me go home feeling depressed and worthless. So, yeah, look for something creative. In 2014, that's when I found myself working for an engineering company as an operations manager. And here's where life gets interesting. (laughs) The MD of the company ruined my life. But before he ruined my life, he sort of helped it. I will explain. (laughs) The MD from the get-go was a lovely person. He were tentative to my feelings, explaining tasks in depth, you know, like just a normal, good, decent manager should do. He noticed that I was getting angry and he asked me to go and play badminton with him, like just once a week. And I'm going to be honest, that exercise once a week... For that day, the day after I did the exercise, I got, I wasn't half as stressed. I wasn't half as flustered with the workload that I was doing. Um, It really did help with the outbursts of emotion, but that was just for one day. And I did start to notice more frequently that if I had more and more tasks to manage at once... And if somebody came in while I was in the middle of a task and asked me a question, apparently I'd answer them sharply. Now, I didn't even see that. To me, it's just my tone of voice and how I answer people. I'm very black and white. And I just thought I was getting frustrated and angry because it was a new job and not because I had undiagnosed BPD. So the new year came round. Welcome 2015 in. And this year... This is the year my life started to fall apart. I started crying every morning before work. I were getting angrier and angrier and losing my rag over summer as small as not being able to find my car keys or only having one bloody tea bag left in pot, meaning that I'd have to go to the shop on my way home from work and it's two minutes away. You know, stuff that you'd look at me and be like, why crying though? Because I didn't know what was wrong with me. I got upset in office one day. Everything just bubbled over and it was like our volcano and it all just exploded and I just burst out crying. And the MD actually said, have you been to see a doctor about this? And right there in my head it was like, light bulb. And I couldn't believe that I'd not thought about it before. Like I also forgot to mention that in the middle of having a new job and dealing with all of this, I was buying a house. So the MD also said that it's probably just stress and being overwhelmed, but 
I took his advice and I, I booked an appointment with the mental health doctor at my local surgery. And obviously, as you do, you take your mum with you, don't you? <laughs> my mum had seen me for months getting more and more upset, more and more emotional. And yeah, I just, I needed my mum to come with me. And as soon as I booked the appointment, I felt like a, just a little weight, not a big one, a little one, had been lifted. Like somebody might actually have some answers as to why I'm so angry and emotional all the time and why I can't control it. And that basically was the start of the journey. Starting anything is hard and starting is the hardest part, whether it's starting a business, starting a new job or even just starting to put yourself first. As someone who suffers from BPD, I procrastinate a lot. And if you don't know what procrastinating is, it's the action of delaying or postponing something, usually time and time again. And it's took me about a week to actually sit down and record this podcast because I didn't want anybody to be in the house. I wanted to be by myself. I know people are going to listen to this later, but... I think that's my BPD. I want it to be perfect before it goes out. I don't want anybody to see my mistakes or anybody to hear what I've got to say before it comes out. So, yeah, I'm a big procrastinator and that's something that I've definitely, definitely got to work on. And that's it for today's episode. If anyone is struggling at the moment or anything that I've said resonates with you today, you can identify with it. You can Google your local mental health team. You can make an appointment with your doctor. You can even call the Samaritan's helpline. And I don't want you to ever feel like you're on your own because you're not. There's loads of us out there who are all in the same boat and let's get together and support each other. So that's it for today. Thank you for listening to The Good, The Bad and The BPD. I'm Tammy Mortland and have a lovely day.